Hi, I'm Kaylee Moore. And I'm Emma Samasco. Welcome to Freelance Writing Coach, your go-to podcast for building a freelance writing business. In each 20-minute episode, we'll do a deep dive into one area of business with the hope that our insights as successful freelance writers will educate and inspire you. This season is sponsored by Editor Ninja, the internet's favorite flat rate content editing service. Founded by veteran marketer and entrepreneur John Doherty, Editor Ninja provides professional editing services for a flat rate. No more nickel and diming over individual content pieces. Just subscribe and add content to your queue and your dedicated editor will get to work. Schedule a free editorial assessment with John today at editorninja.com slash demo. So there are a lot of parts of running a freelance writing business that don't have to do with writing. And one of those is making sure that your legal I's are dotted and T's are crossed and that you are protected from any legal recourse for what you do. And while neither Kaylee nor I are lawyers and we cannot say that anything in this episode is legal advice, like you really need to contact and talk to your attorney about contracts, we do know a little bit about things to think about when it comes to legal contracts, things like what you should include, what kinds of types of contracts you need, and just sort of how to think about them and get them done. So I'd love to start, Kaylee, by asking you, like, what kinds of contracts do you have in your business right now? So I have a contract for every new client that I work with, just like you said, to cover the bases, to make sure we're on the same page about deliverables, uh, payment schedules, expectations as far as One of the things I I run into a lot working with software companies is confidentiality. Of course, they're always, they always want an NDA, which is no problem. But the thing I always try to look closely at is a non-compete. So if the contract comes from the company that I'm working with, which sometimes it does, I have to look really closely at the non-compete because a lot of the companies that I work with are in similar spaces. And obviously I don't want to share their information. That's, that's not really what I'm, I'm focusing on doing. I'm just focusing on writing the content and helping them with their marketing efforts. But I just have to make sure that there's no stipulation in there that's going to keep me from booking new projects with either clients that I've worked with in the past or potential new clients that I would work with in the future. So a legal agreement is just kind of par for the course as far as every new client that I start with. If they don't have one internally, I have one of my own. It's a template that I bought years ago and I just kind of customize it to make sure that it's including all the things that I I need to know. And so that's what I want to talk about next is what do you include in a contract? And I want to hear from you first, maybe to find out if there's anything I'm missing that I should add. But what do you put in in one of your basic contracts? What does that look like for you? So when I first started my business, I had my stepmother, who is a lawyer, not a business player, help me find a template to kind of customize and make sure that I had kind of like general legal protection. And I used that for a while. It included like, I can't even sort of remember what it included, but it included basically like ownership of the work. So is the work owned by you, the freelancer or the client? In most contracts, that work is going to be owned by the client. And I actually think it should be like, that's okay. That's fine. Um, Ownership was one of the things. Payment, like when is it due? And then like, so is it due in 30 days? Is it due immediately? Is there a 50% deposit? How does that work? And then 
Also, like, what happens if you don't get paid? So if you don't get paid, does the client incur like a 10% interest for each day that it's late? Like, what happens, right? Because so much of the contract is like, well, what happens if things don't work out? So are you going to do... I actually like don't even know what my contract says about this now. So my stepmother did this for me. And then several years in, I contacted a business lawyer and had it redone. And when I worked with her, she specialized in doing contracts for creative people. So she had sort of like a list of questions for me of like, well, who owns the work? When is payment due? How long does the contract last? That's another one. Is it for like a year from the date? Is it less? Is it more? And then there's kind of this sort of like, well, what happens is if there's an issue, who incurs the legal fees in that case? What happens if a project needs to be canceled? There's those kinds of things. And a lot of them are sort of like boilerplate, I think, from a legal perspective. But my recommendation is to work with a lawyer. I think it costs like, and just because I think people are like, oh my gosh, a lawyer, that sounds so expensive. But I think that getting a contract from my lawyer was about $500. And to me, that is like, was very worth it just to have someone talk me through like what the different aspects of my contract meant. And I think there are like a number of and of templates out there that you can sort of read through and and try and understand best you can. But yeah, so that's sort of like the client contracts. Are there are there other aspects of client contracts that you think I didn't mention that that you'd think about including? I think the the cancellation section is always one I look at as well. So what happens if either party doesn't hold up their end of the deal? For example, like if a client is supposed to deliver a folder of assets to you by X date and it's been three, four weeks now and the project has ground to a halt, you need to let this client go and move on because they've become non-responsive, but you still want to get your money for the project. That's something that should be stipulated in the contract as well. So what happens if there needs to be kind of a disillusion of the agreement that was laid out in the contract? What legal case could you make as far as payments still being due to you. And I think that that's one of the sticky things about freelancing sometimes is that you hopefully get a deposit payment up front. If you're doing a a big scale project, maybe you're getting benchmark payments based on where you're at as the project progresses. But for people who don't do either of those things, the last thing you want is to do a bunch of work and to never get paid for it. So having this laid out in a legally binding document that would hold up in court if it really had to go that far gives you a leg to stand on. Whereas if you don't have anything like this documented, written down as a point of reference, again, that's been reviewed by a lawyer and could hold up in a court, you could just be out the money, which happens so often. And so I think it's a really important thing to to have that cancellation section in there and have that be very clear as far as how that'll play out. Yeah. I mean, I think it's especially important, like if someone were to come after you and say like, they, you know, she violated my con, the contract or something. And you're like, okay, well, like, no, I didn't. And I, I only say that because like, it tends to not be worth it for a freelancer to take their client to court over something like this because the amount's so small. So like I had a client that didn't pay me. It's the only client that I've ever had this happen with. And my lawyer basically was like the amount that you'd incur and like legal fees to get this money is like way more than the money. So you should just walk away. So I just want to like add that caveat as like the contract protects you, but only so far, but it 
protects you in the other way. Whereas like if that client wanted to sue me or come after me, I would have a contract to be able to say like, Hey, actually like, you know, this was all outlined in the contract that we had. Yeah. And I think too, like we didn't talk about this at the beginning and perhaps we should have, but I think like, I mean, I know that I've worked off contract before, just like with no contract backing me up, especially when I first started. And I think that a lot of freelancers do that actually. Now that I'm more seasoned, like I would really caution against that for a variety of reasons. At the things that we've talked about, like if you don't have any terms about like when payment is due and that it's due within 30 days, then it's really hard to be like, hey, you owe me money. I think when you can follow up with a client and say, per our contract, the invoice was supposed to be paid last week and it wasn't, right? So even though you don't sort of need a contract, it's good to have one. And I think that kind of leads me into the next part, which is like, what are the other types of contracts that freelance writers might think about having? So like the first one that comes to mind for me is if you hire subcontractors to do any kind of work for you, what do those kind of agreements look like? And I'm curious if you've used those, Kaylee, and if so, like what's in them? Yeah, I definitely always use them just because there can be a lot of gray area when you are subcontracting work. You want to be sure that everybody understands how things are going to go and and what the rules and kind of stipulations are of the working relationship. So again, I have a template that I use. It basically just lays out the point of contact for projects. Can they or can't they be used in the subcontractor's portfolio? What is the payout process? Is it net zero, net 14, net 30? Just kind of like the workflow expectations. And then as far as I always have to make sure that I have proper tax documentation for subcontractors. So being sure that they tell me what their address is and then getting the W-9. So just, again, just kind of covering the bases as far as how things will work. So there isn't any of that ambiguity that could get you into hot water. What about you? Do you have an agreement? And if so, did you make it yourself or did it come from a template? What do you do? Yeah. So I used my same lawyer to come up with one for me. And I actually had it created when I went on maternity leave with my son because I had some subcontractors covering for me. And I wanted, I wanted like some specific things like that. It was kind of, they were going to come in and cover for me. It wasn't just, and they were going to interface with the client. So I wanted to make sure that we basically had a contract that said like, Hey, my, when my maternity leave ends, my relationship with the client is resumed. This is like temporary that they can't sort of like pursue the client for like some level of time or something like that. And it's not because I like didn't trust my subcontractors. It was just kind of like, well, I'm hiring someone for coverage. Like I don't want to hire them for coverage and then lose the work, right? Even though I was hiring subcontractors that I trusted. So I had that with the subcontractor agreement. Um, The portfolio thing that you mentioned is really a good one, not just for subcontractor contracts, but also for contracts in general. So I think I have a clause in my contract that says like the client owns the work, but I'm allowed to use anything I create in my portfolio. And that's like a really good one to just add into your contract because then it's like, if a client has an issue with that, you can of course remove it. And maybe you say, I'm not going to be able to use that. That's happened to me with some really big name clients, but it basically means that my, my basic one allows me to use whatever I have as kind of like sample pieces or, or in my portfolio. I'm curious, 
for the agreements that you give to your subcontractors, how many pages is it? Like, is this super in-depth? Give us kind of a scope as far as breadth and depth for this type of thing. I think it's like two pages, maybe. It's pretty in-depth. Like, it was created by a lawyer, and lawyers don't really create, like, sad basic contracts. Like, they make them pretty robust. But sometimes when I work with a contractor and it's just like a one-off thing, I don't use a contractor at all. I don't use a contract at all. Like I just, I get, I mean, it's legally probably dumb, but I think I'm kind of like, well, you have to sort of, if you don't use a contract, you have to be willing to say goodbye to sort of like the money or whatever if things fall apart. (laughs) Yeah. Which is not super smart if you're doing a huge like high dollar project, like a $30,000 project. Yeah. But I think sometimes like if I hire, like I recently hired a subcontractor, so I'm about to go on maternity leave again. I have like a couple hanging projects left before I go on leave. And like, I'm like a week or two out of leave. Like I'm like down to the wire. Like I'm at the doctor's like every day. Like I don't like have a lot of time. So I decided like, Hey, I should subcontract just like a couple of these pieces, just because like, I, I don't know how I have room for it. Like I need to go to bed at 1 PM every day right now. And for those, like I didn't use a contract for, because I just basically asked the subcontractor, like, Hey, can you write this thing for me by this date? And if they can't, I'll just do it. And then you sort I sort of have control as their client where like, if they don't deliver, like, I'm just not going to pay them. Right. Like, yeah. Not like if they deliver something and even if it's not good, like, I, yes, I probably will pay them. <laughs> I will pay them. But I'm just saying like, I have some control because I haven't like, I haven't made a payment there. And I do think that if you're using like a 50% deposit kind of system, that in some ways that's sort of like a contract to hold your time for the work. It isn't a contract yeah. like, legally. And again, just a reminder, everyone out there, like this is not legal advice. Like this, I think the only real legal advice we can give on contracts is like, talk to a business lawyer. Like that's the only sort of official advice that we can give. But I think what we're really trying to say is like, here are some things to think about and also like be a little bit honest about, well, sometimes we're like not working on a contract. Like you and I don't have a contract between the two of us for the podcast. Right. Right. Some people would, they would be like, okay, well, every time we we get a sponsor, we're going to split it exactly this way. And Kaylee's responsible for this and Emma's responsible for this and whatever. But like, I think we, first of all, it's like pretty small fish for us in terms of like what we think is on the line. And also there's like a lot of trust between us, which they say like in business, like it's business, you shouldn't trust anyone, but I don't know. So I'm just trying to be kind of real about that, right? Yeah. Oh, one thing I wanted to ask you about the subcontractor contract. What about, is there a stipulation in there of like, can the the subcontractor eventually work with the client that they're working with you on? Like, how do you handle that? Yeah, I think it's like a year, which is pretty standard. And if you work with an agency, one thing we haven't talked about is like, well, what if a client sends you their contract, which is pretty common. And one thing that happens when you work with agencies is they often will have that kind of clause where they're like, you can't work with X client of ours on your own until like a certain amount of time has passed. So usually that's a year. And like, to me, like the year, a year is like fair. And then, but getting back to like, well, what if someone sends you a contract? One thing that I like to tell people about this is even if it's like, 
I don't know, a super fancy company that is like very established and legitimate with like a big legal department, you can still ask to change the terms of the contract. Like you can say like, hey, I know the contract says net 60, but like I really need to be paid net 30. Or I see that you're not allowing me to put anything in my portfolio. It's really important to me to have something in my portfolio. And they might say no to some of these requests and you can then kind of decide. But I've often had them willing to change or take out things that made me uncomfortable or change language. So I think you have to understand too that like a contract is a negotiation. And if you send your contract to a subcontractor and they're like, hey, like, this aspect of it doesn't work for me. You want to pay me net 30 and I really need to be paid with a 50% deposit and then a fi- when you know at, at start and then a, and completion the rest of the 50%. You can say no to that, but you can also like make those changes in order to work with someone to make sure that everybody's comfortable. Cause like at the end of the day, everyone should be comfortable with the contract that you have. And if you receive a contract, like definitely read it. Make sure there's no sort of red flags in it where you're like, I don't know about that. Is that like a normal thing? Because, and I think the thing that you mentioned about competitors early is super important where it's like, if there's a non-compete that says you can't work with any other accounting software company, for example, like that may not work for you. Right. Especially if you're like a freelancer that specializes in writing for like some sort of financial software. That is your niche, right? You can't, that's that's going to ruin your business. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there are a lot of things to kind of think about. Like I like what you said, definitely always thoroughly read the contract. It's so easy to get one of those big documents and be like, "Oh, this is six pages of like boring legalese that I don't care to sift through." But you really should. You really should take the time for that cuz you might find things buried in there that you're like, "Oh, I didn't realize that was part of the deal." And then the other thing I wanted to say is if there is a non-compete clause in there somewhere and it says that you can't work with this type of client for a year, that would be, again, something that I would throw into an email reminder on my calendar so that within my email software or within my project planning software, I would get a a ping once the one-year mark is up, just kind of reminding me that it's officially okay to maybe start pitching this type of client or that's very smart Katie. Yeah, to reach out because otherwise you're like, wait, when did I sign that? What, what? is that just a feature like Gmail has, by the way, you um, mentioned, I you use Zoho. Episode too. Yeah. You use what? Zoho mail, but you could also do it on your phone calendar. You could just put a reminder in your phone. That's just one of the, again, one of those things that's going to get lost in the folders of your brain. So it's easy to automate. Yeah, I think even just like putting it in your calendar, it makes it makes me think that I have in my calendar like when my car registration is due because yes. like I kept not paying it because I just like didn't like it wasn't like top of mind. Yeah, so like having those those dates in your calendar is really smart. Yeah, no, that's a really good idea. And the other thing I would say too is if you're like, oh my gosh, I don't have the money to go to a lawyer and have a contract that's completely original drawn up, just do a quick Google search for templates that are out there. Make sure that it's been created and reviewed by somebody who is a lawyer. But yeah, that you don't have to reinvent the wheel and, and create something totally custom. There are a lot of good options out there if you're looking for kind of a jumping off point. Yeah, the two recommendations I give for that is our friend Ashley Cummings has a freelance writing contract that she sells on her website. And then the other one to look at is there's a like a website called the contract shop. I think it's the contract shop.com. And it's like a 
a ton of different kinds of contracts for various creatives who I think, I think the, the person is like a former attorney. I haven't used those. I don't know what they look like. I haven't used Ashley's either actually, but like those are two resources worth looking into. I think you do have to buy both of them, but it's pretty reasonable. And it is something that maybe we're spending a little bit of money on. And yeah, again, like I know I can't, I know I keep saying, but I'm like, we're not lawyers, but still (laughs) we're just trying to get you to think through, like, do you need contracts? How do you think about them? What should be included so that you're positioned to protect yourself and your business and, and you kind of have a, have a leg to stand on. One more question for you that just popped into my brain. Have you, was there anything that you read or watched or listened to that kind of got you in the frame of mind to where you were like, I am a capital B business owner. Like I need to have these types of elements in place. Was there something that inspired it or was it just something that you intuitively knew to do right off the bat? I feel like it wasn't, some of it I kind of intuitively knew. So like I knew off the bat that I needed to like have some kind of contract and that I needed to like have an accountant basically, or like understand how to do accounting, like bookkeeping for my business. So those were things that I kind of knew about from the beginning. But I think as time went on, I became more aware of like what should go into the contract and what the terms that I cared about were like, kind of like I, I require 50% deposit. That's something that's in my contract. If people are late, there's like interest accrued. It's mm, good. The portfolio thing that I mentioned, that's another aspect of it. So like as time went on, I think I was able to kind of narrow down on what mattered to me in the contract, but I think I kind of always knew like, yeah, I should probably be working from a contract. How about you? I think mine came out of necessity because I had a couple of annual retainer clients when I very first started and scope creep got to be a huge problem. And I had no contract that laid out kind of what the scope of work was and what I had agreed and signed on to. So until that was written down and I had, you know, some sort of documentation that I could refer back to, I didn't really have a leg to stand on. I had gotten myself into that problem. So yeah, it was kind of born out of necessity for me so that I could go back to that client and then say, okay, like here's here are all the things that I've agreed to do for you. If you need something beyond that, we'll have to add that to the contract and that's like a new line item on the invoice, things like that. So that can be a good motivator to have a contract as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Freelance Writing Coach Podcast. If you want more tips, tricks, and resources for building your business, visit freelancewritingcoachpodcast.com.